historically, I have verged on feeling like my work would feel a little too tidy. And now I want it to not be messy per se, because there's, there's a fine line there too, but a means of feeling natural and unfussed over that gives it an authenticity that makes it even more delicious because it feels really real, right? And that's appealing to me. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenneth Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. Listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. I am super excited to bring on to Creative Live for the very first time, Melina Hammer. Melina is a award-winning food photographer, stylist, cook, chef, same thing, <laughs> recipe developer, author, and she is the owner of the Catbird Cottage, which we will talk a little bit about. Um, she is up in upstate New York and has, oh, I just can't wait to hear more about what she has created fulfilling her continued passions of food and growing and all of that. Um, she is a visual storyteller and she says her love language is fresh, whole and wild foods. Can't wait to talk about foraging foods before photographing them. Uh, she's also commissioned work uh, for produced commissioned work for the New York times food 52 eating well, cooking light and many more. Her first cookbook is called Kid Chef, and it is an Amazon bestseller. She is in the throes of working on her new cookbook that will come out uh, next spring of 2022. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And she recently, um, a new book came out called, new cookbook called Simply Julia with award-winning cookbook author Julia Tertian. And she had incredible partnership photographing and styling images for that. This is all drool-worthy food. If you love looking at food photography, you are in the right place. So please um, help me welcome, hands on the desk, clapping, clapping, Melina Hammer. Thank you so much, Melina. Thank you. Now can I go take a nap? I mean, that was so <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you have done a lot, and yeah. I'm excited to to dive in. Um, and I'm just gonna I'm looking at the shout outs from people. We've got Marcio who's joining from Portugal. We have Juanita who is in Colorado. Um, Hi. And are coming in. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So. First of all, I just want to say kudos to you on um, on the cookbook that you are working on because we've been going back and forth and I know putting together, well, I don't know personally, but putting together a cookbook spans so many different um, areas. I know it's like a labor of love. So you did a, a first cookbook. Tell me about the intention behind um, this new one and what it's all about. Thank you. Um, yeah. It is an incredible endeavor and it is, uh, you know, if you visualize spinning plates and the craziness of that and coming back and forth and just keeping them going as you see one slow down and just really one step in front of the other, moving everything forward at a sort of um, giant slow pace. 
Um, I am writing it. I am developing the recipes. I am cooking it. I am styling it. And at this stage, I've been doing all of that for about eight months, not quite. And I'm in the recipe testing phase and have been deep in that uh, with many incredible people near and far who with me for four months now are making sure that everything is as delicious as I declare it to be and catching all of the little things or saying, oh my goodness, and, and sometimes sight unseen. It's all sight unseen at this point. Them having to articulate what I share via process and it's incredible. So it's a seasonal cookbook driven by upstate New York seasonalities. And that means um, both from the wild landscape and from the kitchen garden that I tend here at Catbird Cottage. Uh, I am creating foods that highlight these gorgeous, often very ephemeral um, elements. And it is very layered eating, which means that it is deeply savory, deeply delicious, deeply everything. And um, people who are, um, this, the, the recipes are actually a culmination of foods that I have served our guests um, as a destination bed and breakfast for over the course of a year. And we've been doing this for about two years, about two and a half maybe years now. And it's exciting to see that our home has become such a destination for people and that I get to tempt them and seduce them with this incredible food. And now it's going to be a cookbook. So it's, it's pretty amazing. What, what a beautiful story, but also just, um, first of all, it already makes me hungry thinking, about, thinking about, yeah. uh, uh, about all these different recipes and just your, the way that you talked about approaching, um, that, the, your recipes and the, the work itself. Talk to me about um, this, you, about your um, love of foraging food. And before we get into even the photography part, um, I know you talked about, you know, sort of on your site or in your bio um, about having, you know, realized that at a young age or, so take me back to your sort of, was it always, was the food first or was the photography first? Hmm. Um, I have always been an extremely visual person and I've always made things. So from a young age, the medium was ceramics or drawing and that evolved actually, um, into, uh, I, I was a metalsmith in another life. Um, and that was my first career. And then it evolved into photography. I actually took um, a three-month trip, um, gosh, over 20 years ago now, and <clears throat> because I couldn't bring my metal bench with me, I used my camera as a means to continue being creative throughout the days because I knew I would be highly inspired by what I would experience. So then the photography morphed into food photography, and I've always loved food. I love eating but I don't think I had um, in any way a profound connection to foods and qualities of foods. I just had uh, an incredible range of experiences because my, both of my parents loved 
foods from around the world. I grew up in an international community. Um, we traveled. Um, so food has always been something that I love. And because of that, when I changed careers, I thought, why not? <laughs> and the foraging has laced in in the last maybe 12 years or so. And it's really been, it's a way for me to slow down and really come into the present moment. And there's just infinite reasons to be occupied or distracted or multitasking. And when I'm out in nature, it allows me to just breathe. And there's this quieting and there's a peace. And it's discovery. And not only discovery in a pure sense, but discovery that you can eat. So if you are paying attention, if you are using all of your sensory skills, you are likely to find something, especially the more that you do it. And and some things aren't even elusive. So it's like, oh, it's spring in two weeks. I'm going to be outside gathering my garlic mustard or whatever. And being able to eat it and knowing that it's free and nutritiously dense and fabulous and ephemeral. It's here and then it's gone. It's it's all like a piece of magic to me. And I, I love it. It sounds magical. Um, and I, but I, I also, I mean, I think again, what I was thinking as you were describing that is you, you have such a visual story to even talking about the mm. foraging or um, the connection with nature. So I'm then curious how that translates into sort of the, the visual uh, when you're creating the images of these food, because again, if you are not yet following Melina on Instagram, uh, join the 75,000 plus people who are um, with uh, just amazing. I mean, who doesn't love food photography, but this is like award-winning food photography <laughs> um, with there's so many layers to it of that you are making these recipes and coming up with, um, you know, that just all, all the different layers of creativity that goes into that. So how do you bring or do you bring sort of that element of you're actually like forging the food or some of it into the story that you're creating then of that, say, recipe or the image? Well, it's that's a, a complicated answer in a certain way because, uh, for instance, uh, on Instagram, there is more and more of this demand for like in-your-face food, you right? And it's not, it's not as narrative, or at least the people who, by and large, are my audience, they don't need uh, the narrative there. They do want to get hungry. They want to drool. I feel like. Um, at its foundation, if food photography isn't making you hungry, then it's not doing its job, right? So no matter what my images are, that's front and center. In my book, in the upcoming cookbook, it is, there's much more freedom to tell that visual story and process and, you know, these beautiful things just came in from the great outdoors. And so there's that little scatter of dirt or the tool that I used to harvest them, or I've just shocked them in cold water. And those beautiful droplets are part of how light is being reflected or here's what it looks like raw. And here's what it looks like cooked. And there's many different ways that I have a greater freedom um, in that kind of uh, medium by Instagram. It is absolutely about 
I want you at my table. And the feeling of, despite yourself, you're starting to salivate. And it's about feeling like you know what that food might taste like, not having even yet tasted it yourself. So to me, it's part and parcel with creating a beautiful image. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about, again, what the what the the latitude that you have with the cookbook to elaborate um, and tell more of a the the full process or story, and yet still creating images um, that can stand alone and tell a story. Because the 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 element, do you think that that has to have sort of the element of a human interacting for it to tell more of a story? Not necessarily, because I think some of my favorite images and sometimes what I see people respond to most enthusiastically are images where, you know, the spoonful has been taken out of that dish already, or there's a fork where the knife has just cut into something. And it's not the presence, literal, of a human, right? But it's that implication of eating and process and getting into and the sensuality of it. And so in a certain way, I don't know, am I saying yes to that answer <laughs> to well, that question? <laughs> no, it's the, but that's a, it's a distinction between the implied, um, yeah. like the implied story, which you are able to create with those right. elements, which I think when people are looking at, you know, creating their own food photography is like, how do you, how do you do that without the person? So that's really um, that's really insightful as well. I'm curious yeah. as a, a, a how you because you said like they're creating jewel worthy images, creating these like um, you said sensual, but like this emotion in food images. How what are are you consciously thinking about that as you're creating? It really depends on how much time I have. Yeah, <laughs> if, if I'm putting something together quickly for myself and I'm like, oh, I, I should put this in stories before I eat it. Let me just do that. It's very, very, very spontaneous when I'm doing stuff in stories. It, by my posts, however, there's a lot more thought um, put into that. And these days, a lot more of the pieces that I'm sharing uh, in my posts are commissioned works that are actually recipes that actually people can go and make should they want to. Because what's the, what, what the greatest tease that is like this unrequited love is to see something delicious that you want to eat, that then you don't like, where's the recipe, right? Um, so I think that historically, I have verged on feeling like my work would feel a little too tidy. And now I want it to not be messy per se, because there's, there's a fine line there too, but a means of feeling natural and unfussed over that mm -hmm. gives it an authenticity that makes it even more delicious because it feels really real. Right. And that's appealing to me. And to that, I mean, you are obviously going back to your intentional with, you know, fresh, you talked about their love language being fresh, whole, wild foods, um, that in your photography as well, you are not, like, it's not, there's no fakeness to it, right? Like, it oh, is yeah. just, no. it is there is what it is. I think that that notion, unfortunately, when people hear that I'm a food stylist or a food photographer, 
that notion of using motor oil or Crisco or, you know, all of these funny dramatic things really is a holdover from the 1990s and video campaigns under hot lights where food, food that dies because you cook it and it has a lifespan before herbs wilt or meat doesn't look glossy and delicious anymore. All of those elements uh, would be sort of rectified by means that weren't authentic. And that has really changed certainly over the past 10 years, if not 15 to 20 years. And most food that you see, especially in editorial stories, any magazines, almost every uh, advertisement for foods is real, real food. And for me, I think that it's sort of criminal to have something that's actually an edible thing be made inedible because there's just too much um, food insecurity or starvation. And that's a responsibility I want to make sure to take to say, you know, plus most often it's, it's my budget. And if it's my budget, I would like to be able to eat that later. So I'm not doing, you know, any shenanigans to the food and it's, it's all what it is. And that makes it even more, I don't know, I think, like you said, authentic, beautiful, real, and, um, and you get to eat it too. <laughs> yes, that's the best. Talk to it me really about, about um, working for, so, you know, working for New York Times and Food 52, you, you were talking about, um, I think it's you're a resident there. What does that mean? And t- talk to us about, you mentioned like you create recipes that, and then the images so that, and people can see them, share them, make them like, Talk to me about um, putting putting all of that out into the world and what that means for you and what responses you get and and maybe starting with Food 52. Well, if I may, I'm going to start with yes. New York Times because Perfect. I feel like that sort of set the tone for me. Perfect. Um, I have worked with the New York Times for over a decade. And in my early days, it was sort of trial by fire learning while doing. Because as a person who cooks, styles, and shoots, I was taking on the role of learning new processes, new ingredients, and foods from many different parts of the world, because this is the kinds of things that they would just generally, as a rule, highlight, right? And that was really exciting. But it was also a, oh, right, I've just never done this before, and I'm going to do this, and I have to deliver it on my deadline, and no problem, you know. Always, I would have a backup just in case, Um, but that was really uh, an extended sort of proxy education as I was getting my footing and figuring out um, the kinds of stylistic tweaks that i benefited from or felt great doing and and developed my personal style, right? So fast forward to now. And um, I've I've produced some um, columns with Food52 over the years. And as they've tweaked their own format, um, we've always had this sort of reciprocal mutual admiration. And in the last six months or so, I was asked to be a resident because of my expertise, the gorgeous visuals, and now they're really using my specific location as a way to highlight regional amazing 
foods. And essentially each month um, I consider what might be a beautiful visually, because I always think through the visual lens first, especially via Instagram, because if people aren't drawn to it, they're not going to want to take it further and be compelled to go and learn more, right? So they have to be compelled. They have to be seized. And if they're seized, then that's it. Then I have them. They're mine. You know, it's like, (laughs) so um, often I'm using either ingredients that I know will be available to people if they want to go forage for something, or if there's a an ingredient I'm growing or uh, farmers that I love ingredients that they're growing and use that as a way to tease out uh, two recipes and then a larger, broader story that features each month. So um, I'm working on a story right now that is not yet out, but my editor and I are going back and forth on the finer details and it's so delicious and it's so versatile and it's so easy. And it's fun to dream something like that up over and over and over and then realize, oh my God, why didn't I think about this before, you know? So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it also is extremely creative and it's very fulfilling. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a question that I have um, is like, how do you continue to come up with new, yeah, new, new recipes, ideas, stories, ways of photographing um, and, and is there like, do you actually have a process um, that you, you know, that you've developed for yourself versus like, oh, maybe it'll come to me. Like, is there a, is there something that you intentionally do or does it come to you in the shower? You know, (laughs) (laughs) right, 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 right. I would not say that I have a linear, here's this step, here's this step, here's this step process by any stretch, but it's always in the, how do the colors relate how, does, how can I make a gesture from that that's so sort of igniting the visual um, elements? And how can I make that delicious? How can I make people drool for it? Um, some foods are easier for sure than others. But by and large, it is a um, what makes sense ingredients-wise and what makes sense beauty-wise. And I think those are the drivers and it's really fun to um, sort of sort of let that marinate, whatever the process and the challenge and the new idea is, marinate. And sometimes I will feel stumped for a little while, but generally, and I'm so blessed and so grateful for this, I often have abundant ideas. And once I've got an idea, I just run with it. And then all of the other elements just fall into place. So the visual nature of it will fall into place place. I have an enormous prop collection. So that is sort of a, a very spontaneous last element that's like, oh yeah, I think, oh yeah, where's that? You know, and I'll just have this like internal conversation of how that ends up being articulated. That is in no way a, it's usually not a pre-planned thing. It just becomes, it, everything falls into place. And it's, you know, while I'm cooking something often, the visual aspects will be marinating in the back of my mind. And um, while I'm writing, the everything's been done, but like I'm pulling from that sort of wonderfulness. And then either if I need historical sort of um, reinforcements or uh, other elements that sort of um, showcase as a sort of family of how this has been done elsewhere, that's always fun. But 
the writing, of course, is at the very end. And for me, the the huge creative output is is the all the other stuff. Even though the writing is also its own creative output, truly. I think it's interesting when you mentioned like thinking about the color palette in and of yeah. itself, because you did just kind of you did just go through like what do I have to think about first and then it simmers and then it's the ingredient oh what ingredients are in that color palette or and you also you mentioned some foods are are harder to make jewel worthy than others like tell us about like what's easy to make jewel worthy and what's hard to make jewel worthy (laughs) so I think distinct elements that people can easily identify because if someone is familiar with it already that they're there, right? You don't have to introduce them and acquaint them and then get, you know, familiarized. So I think that um, certainly lots of vegetables are easy because of the color palette as a, just a natural given. Um, Things that have shape to them. So like beautiful basil leaves or asparagus spears or shrimp and their tails or things that have shape naturally right but the sear on a scallop is to die for and those who have eaten scallops like that will immediately you know be like yes 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 right but i would say things that are more uniform in their appearance like casseroles very um different it is more in the taking it apart that makes a casserole or brown food in general more dynamic so that you can see the twirl of the sauce in the pasta um, and and how it's being pulled in that sauce or a spoon in the gratin and how the cheese is melted and showing itself or the, you know, the, the crumbs from the top of a, um, I was just going to say like a, like a macaroni and cheese or something like that, that is scattered and creating a little bit of mess that then gives you like a, a root in place and experiential reality. And all of those things transform something from being like, oh my God, what is this? Or being even turned off by it to being drawn in and wanting to know more. Herbs are also an excellent transformer. Because if something is brown and you want to like spruce it up, beautiful scatter of herbs changes it all just kind of like automatically. Um, it's interesting to see that and to realize that some work is not going to, some food is not going to give itself over to you. And you've got to kind of like go through what I call amateur hour to then find the magic in what it has to deliver. And it just asks more of you in getting there. If that makes any sense. That's super interesting. The an- amateur hour. Yeah. Of it, and yeah, I, it's no, it's, it does make sense. And it's a beautiful um, way you just describe. Yeah. How the different elements come together and what you have to think about. Yeah. And, uh, and no matter how many times you've done it, you're still going to go through amateur hour. So it's like, there's not really consolation in that, except that, you know, you've done it and you've gotten through that before. And you're like, Right. Okay. Yeah. Here I am again. And then just keep working and moving through it and then being able to find ownership in it and then seizing it, you know, and that's the work in a certain regard as a creative professional. Well, I was going to say that resonates with sort of any creative um, pursuit is that, 
trust in the process is what I'm like taking away from everything you're saying, which is really hard to do uh, when you are beginning something or in the, or in the middle of it, you know, and you're, it's, it's that, yeah, that trust in the process. I I struggle with often. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's very heebie-jeebie, like, oh, this doesn't feel comfortable and I don't know where I am and it's abstract and like, get me out of here. But then it's like, wait, you know, just keep going. You're going to figure it out. And it doesn't sound so soothing as I'm saying it right now, but it is very much like an acceptance. And mm-hmm. as you accept it, you can allow yourself into and through better than if you just get flustered. Right. So. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and again, it goes across life. <laughs> absolutely. It's for, to be applied for everything. <laughs> Let's go back to your first cookbook, Kid Chef. Um, how did you decide? Tell us a little bit about the book and then how you decided to focus on something for kids. Well, for me, I, um, in the process of becoming a food photographer, um, everything, though visually oriented, um, was bringing me back to the food. And because I was receiving my own kind of education, the more that I explored foods, the more that I uncovered what actually is a good version of an apple versus what I thought was a good version of an apple, the more it felt like I had this something to say that would be really important for people to come because I really have become a good food champion and I want people to eat well. And we all have food scars, right? Every single one of us has a food scar. And I say, my sweet husband has heard this a million times. It's like, we can have a bad relationship and we can get over that bad relationship and love again. But if we experience a food that we hated, we have sworn it off. And maybe, maybe, maybe somehow down the road, either because we trust someone and they encourage or urge us or you somehow suspend disbelief, you could experience that food and maybe have a reversal and enjoy that food somehow. But because there is such a universe out there to enjoy and just dive into, I wanted to provide the means for kids who do like to eat to explore that universe in every single direction, whether it is, I really love avocados and what about avocados or spices are really cool and what is it about spices like what's the story right and and to understand that things ingredients foods have been used in so many capacities whether it's culturally historically regionally all seasonally you know all of these things are um activation points and i just felt like because we have to eat every single day, why not make it so that we could fall in love with food so that even if there's a drudgery sometimes, um, that it could have joy implicitly, you know, sort of as a built-in aspect. So, and it's, it's, it's exciting to see the kids that get like super motivated and then they're cooking for their parents and then the parents are benefiting and it just it was like, it's bonding. It's all of these layers because food is everything. There's, I mean, there's so many things, like you just said, food is everything in, in, uh, talking about the cultural and travels, but this, I'd never heard somebody say like, there are 
everybody has a food scar. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's, it's, it's funny because it takes me back to like, and I don't know if this is what you mean, but I had like a bad piece of string cheese when I was <laughs> in grade school. Cause like you didn't put your, I don't know. And like, I can't eat string cheese. <laughs> Bingo. Food scar. <laughs> Food scar. Food aversion. Texture. Um, uh, memory association, these kinds of like surprises that you weren't expecting that are like, oh, you know, and as a child, they are so monumental and then it ruins us. I mean, imagine or think about, right? So many moms, you know, this is sort of like this antiquated stereotype, but so many moms in like the seventies and eighties who would cook vegetables to oblivion, right? And then people, kids would be like, I hate vegetables. That just was they never had the right version of the thing. And because we host people here at Catbird Cottage, I implicitly, or I guess um, not implicit, but um, as uh, inevitably I'm dealing with what their food restrictions are, whether sure. it's an allergy or preference. And those preferences are based on food scars. And I never ever need to challenge someone's food scars unless they want me to. But it's interesting to see that we all just have our baggage and that's part of what it is. And I've shed most of mine. I still have maybe a couple, but I really have managed to get let go of most of them. And I'm so happy because food's great. There's so <laughs> what, much. What, what, what was one that you got over? Mushrooms. <gasps> and you know why? Why? Because they were spongy and I did not like the texture. But if you sear them and you get them like robustly caramelized, right, then they're like meaty and crispy and so wonderful. And God, I'm so glad that I got over that because that's like a universe, just mushrooms and foraging mushrooms. It was like, that's the best. So, I mean, that was short lived. I think that I liked mushrooms by the time I was in high school. And that's so fortuitous because... Mushrooms are fabulous. Well, it's kind of the, when I think of foraging food, mushrooms is sort of the, the one thing, the first thing that I think about. Um, and and it's, it is interesting because, again, I mean, mushrooms, there's so many different kinds. So and, many. And side note, like mushrooms can save the planet. But, um, <laughs> but it's true. Um, the, the, um, or the mycelium that is the mushrooms are the fruit of the, yeah. Um, I got starting to get further into that and it's fascinating. Um, but it's anyway, incredible. yeah. Um, and highly, what's the name of the movie? Oh my gosh. Fantastic Fungi. Sick fungi. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Everybody out there, if you haven't seen it, it's so good. Look it up. I think you have to rent it like from their website, but it's so good. Um, it's totally and, worth it. And, and like blows my mind. What is, yeah. Side note. How do you make mushrooms that aren't interesting visually, like look interesting visually? What mushrooms aren't interesting I guess. visually? Come I on. guess. I was just thinking I mean, even color. Like the, yeah. <laughs> so like the common button mushroom has that wonderful, cute shape, right? And the form factor already is a thing. And to me, it's more about how do you make unusual mushrooms not look weird ah, and make them appetizing true. because certainly the lexicon of mushrooms for conventional sort of culture is like maybe three or four mushrooms, right? But what about some of those more unusual ones? And 
I think, like for instance, maitake mushroom, hen of the woods mushroom, is one that is a little more esoteric, but one that is broadly now, especially now available and like specialty grocers or, you know, um, health food stores, whatever. And it's a fantastic earthy mushroom, but it sort of has this like sea creature maybe look to it, especially if you buy it and it comes like in this sort of cultivated cluster, right? And what is the way that you find magic in it visually? And I have found two ways. One is uh, like a wonderful meaty cross section that is then this like almost like coral this beautiful shape that then gets burnished in a hot pan so that all of the edges are darkened and crispy or another way is to have torn pieces that then get the same treatment and then there's just this tangle in whatever it is that is being prepared and that the, the challenge then in that tangle is to draw out a few that show just enough of what they are so that, again, the viewer can identify. Because as, as long as the viewer is identifying with what it is, then you have them. And that's a little challenge because, you know, depending on what it is, um, it may be easier to do or less forthcoming. And that's the daily, you know, like, okay, right, how to make this look good thing. It sounds very meditative to me as well. Like not just the gathering part, and as you were describing earlier, the importance to you of of um, you know of the whole and fresh foods, but then yeah, just the 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 puzzle pieces and the the creating part. Largely, I, it is meditative. Sometimes the swear words part it comes through, <laughs> and that's not so meditative. <laughs> but usually, it's really a, a, a. I'm very very grateful that I can do what I love and. It is really meditative. You you talk about or you mentioned that you um, spent uh, a number of years in the deep south, where mm. with family farmers who were doing it right and yeah. um, solidified foraging as a part of your daily life. Talk to us about about that experience or or what that um, yeah how that talk to us about that. So I spent a little. Uh, less than three years in Birmingham, Alabama, and it was a head trip in so many different ways. But this aspect of becoming friends with family farmers um, was an incredible and pivotal moment because for the first time, so prior to that, I lived in big cities where it was city block after city block after city block, and therefore, very little familiarity with farms, right? Because it's urban. A lot of that's changing now. And in Alabama, I think nature is so, because it is the South, nature is so lush and abundant no matter where you are. And in a hop and a skip, you can be from city to nature without without any question, you know, in just a few minutes. So um, that proximity changed um what my daily excursions would become. And that meant that I could travel 10 blocks with my bag of food scraps and initially go and think, cool, I'm gonna go and drop these off for the hens and gather some eggs and that's it, right? Great, why not? Great. But then it became um, walking the rows of the different crops and getting to see 
oh, that's how broccoli grows and what its leaves look like and that the leaves are incredible and also edible, but not commercially viable, never sold in a grocery store, uh, or okra and the incredible flowers that okra produces as it's growing. Never mind, I mean, potatoes. The fact that potatoes are such a gorgeous plant and seeing, yes, what their flowers look like and knowing that the magic of potatoes all happens in a place we don't get to see because they are tubers and you have to dig them up, right? So it was really starting to bridge a gap that had existed for me in my understanding of food, period. That grocery stores are this antiseptic, just, you know, very tidy, very orderly presentation of food without the connection to what it actually is as it grows or what it is as a whole thing. Brussels sprouts. Only, I think, in the last seven years, maybe, are we seeing Brussels sprouts on their stalks in farmer's markets, right? From before then, you'd only ever see Brussels sprouts broken off of their stalks, sold loosely or in bags or whatever. So I think it's that relationship to the whole ingredient that triggered more in me then and made me more curious about more foods made me want to tell the story of the process of that thing growing because you're never going to see what an okra flower looks like if you don't see the plant and come and revisit it at different times during its season, right? Or even how something grows. I mean, that tomatoes need to be strung up if they're an indeterminate variety of tomato plant. They will just grow and grow and grow and grow. For as much as you give them room to grow, they will grow. And understanding the thingness of the thing, sorry, it's sort of redundant, but that that was part of its beauty, that was part of its story, that was part of its worth, and um, and then connecting to different varietals within different species, and, and understanding why heirloom varieties uh, are so important both to culture uh, and to flavor, and that grocery stores almost always aren't going to carry a diversity and certainly not a diversity of heirlooms because they're more fragile or they're less shelf stable. And all of these details matter to me. And it really like, I had some really gelling moments in Alabama um, and then took that with me. And I was able to also forage on a regular basis there because nature was literally adjacent to the city. And that was my first time having it be so casual an experience to say, okay, today I'm just going to go and see if the morels are out and not have to like plan to go to Central Park when I could spare two hours on that day. And maybe the elderberry tree would be like fruiting or flowering and maybe not. And it's just much more like touch and go when I lived in, in big cities. So, so that, I mean, what a, what a beautiful, it's really cool to hear you talk about how it just shifted everything for you. And it sounds like, like not just food in and of itself, but the way you spend your time and yeah. things priorities. like that. Yeah. Different priorities. So, so tell us about then this evolution to creating this destination, Catbird Cottage, where people get to come and experience yeah. Um, not just the beautiful location, but the, the, what you create. So talk to us about this story and how, how it all, um, came about. Well, when we moved back North 
from um, the South, I realized that I didn't need New York City in the way that I used to. And I actually didn't even like it. Um, I just felt like there was such a depersonalization and um, a lack of connection to humanity in the small moments as much as in the big moments. And I couldn't get over that even though many years previously I was so in it and loving all of that, like big city, daily battle energy, right? And I just felt like I was going to have more joy in my life and that life was too short to not incorporate this way of living in a more regularized capacity because that was what was going to bring me joy and peace and I deserve to have more of both of those. So um, we started to consider how we could move out of the city um, my husband still has a studio in Brooklyn, and so we needed to retain a connection to the city. And what was that going to look like? You know, how is that actually going to work? And once we landed on our, our place and it was going to actually happen, I started to consider, well, actually, it was being built in in the whole process early on. So I was considering more as it was really becoming a reality that, I was going to need to migrate my career because I wasn't interested in running down to photo sets back in the city on a regular basis and maintaining that kind of functionality. I wanted to use the beauty of the things I've collected over the years, um, family heirlooms, the way I tell visual storytelling in spaces as well as by pictures to create a, a getaway and have people who at this point, you know, I'd been developing an Instagram following and it was always like, well, so yeah, you like my pictures. That's great. But to be, to actually present to people, if you really are in love with this food and you want to come sit at my table, then you can. And I have one, it's over here. Come and visit. And pre pandemic, it was, uh, pretty incredible. We developed this incredible momentum, really became a destination. Uh, we are listed on Airbnb, but we took all of our dates down because uh, we were getting overwhelmed and it would it became by reservation request basis. And ever since we basically stuck to that model because um, we want to be able to to fully be present for the people who come here because they're coming here for their special moments. It's an anniversary or friend's birthday, um, there's someone's honeymoon. So these are really special moments. And we are on and entertaining and sharing ourselves with whoever comes here while I'm also making these incredible curated meals. And they are curated to the individual's preferences, even though like 99% of the time I am given a broad uh, freedom to just like, we love this, we love this, we love this, have at it. Or we love everything you do and just go ahead or, you know. Um, so it's, it's really special and um, I've been able to um, flex a lot of creative muscle um, using these people as guinea pigs. <laughs> uh, having all kinds of wonderful dishes that I'm just like, I think that's going to be a really good combination. And then, of course, we will try and we're like, oh, damn, that's good. Like, this is not fair. This is so good, you know. And, and then they get to experience it and everybody's just like, 
then it's love, right? It's just everybody falls in love because it's a special experience already. The food frames that and makes that special experience. And then that becomes their memory gelled for all of the years to come. And it's incredible. It's so it's so interesting because it's, you know, earlier we were talking about, you know, food scars. And yes. then this is yes. like food the what opposite. Would you call it the opposite of a food scar, food, you know, glory moment or, or what, yeah. you know, just um but I think it's so interesting that you can create, you know, just such experience around that. But going back to like Food is everything, like you said, in terms of it's when we go and travel, it's sort of the first thing that we experience about a, a new place. Um, and and it's fascinating that you've, you, you know, you continue to take it a step deeper. Like, where did that come from? How do I learn more? What are these spices? Like just that, um, that knowing that then gets infused into the recipes, the actual making of, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's really, it's, it's interesting. You talked about the ephemeral nature of it all. Like it's one thing to be somebody that's creating, um, something that is going to be like permanent or is somebody's mm. going to put up on their wall or. And, and, and as a metalsmith, I used to love that it was going to last for forever, that I was going to make something from nothing and it was going to be around for thousands of years. And I was going to have this legacy because it would last. Right. But it's it was sort of more magical because I get a more personal connection to everybody, even though it's consumed and it's gone. It's like you eat it. It's in you. It's part of you. It's going to be your memory. It's going to be like you're like, you know, when you got married, that was what you ate and you were so happy about it. Or when you graduated, this is what you went or when you went on vacation. Oh, my God, that amazing place. Right. So it's it's inevitable that our best memories are framed by the food that we eat and I get to be in that position. And like, that's the best thing. Was there any kind of, I, I think that's super interesting that when you were a metal smith, smither, is that how you say it? I don't know. When, you did, when you were a metal smith, um, yeah. that it was this, like, I want somebody to hold on to something like permanently. Was there, is that part of your, do you think, does that relate to like who you are as a person as well? Or like, mm. yeah. as, what's like, again, special, like damn it. <laughs> what's, what's important to you? No, just like the, the shift and now it being, um, about something different. I don't know. Can you well, map that to your own personal journey? I don't think that it was deliberate. That's for sure. Um, and I do see that, it's still, it's very much still creating and I'm using, you know, tangible elements that stay with me that are props and um, physical, ephemera, not ephemera, physical elements. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's sort of not a direct thing, but very much metalsmithing is hard on the body. Making food is hard on the body in a very different way. Um, there is, you know, colors and forms and textures in either medium, but I think there's a, it's, it's very personal, like to make something in metal and show someone and tell them to like it, right? That is very subjective and someone is going to either 
connect to it or not. And, um, you know, that's up, that's, that's the sort of unknown and that's the sort of variability. But I think if something is prepared deliciously, there's an undeniability about that. And in a certain regard, I think that that's a greater win because, you know, I can convert somebody or I can connect deeply with somebody. It's like, I can't tell you the numbers of times we'll receive people initially. And it's like, you never met them before. And how's this going to work out? And we got them for a weekend. And are we going to like each other? And because they're in your home. But then they get to eat my food. And then we're like, yes, everybody's having a great time. And it's, it's a very clear change in how relating happens. And it's purely through it being delicious that, I mean, there's storytelling too, and that's important, but the, the deliciousness is undeniable. And that's, yeah. it's like it comes, goes to the core. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I'm excited for post pandemic, uh, would love to make my way. Yes. yes. My God. I just like see it and, you know, watching, seeing your, you know, stories online or, or, you know, your BTS and it just even, it just, it's what a beautiful, um, thing that you've created, um, with your husband and, or just for yourself. And I think that's such an important message, um, because it just, it sounds like, oh, that's beautiful, but I can only imagine the work that has gone into creating this life. So are there, like, were there moments where you thought, I don't know if this is going to work out. And I mean, it just gone through the pandemic and like, or we're still in, um, how do you keep going in, um, being an entrepreneur and, um, and you know, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard path. It is a very hard path because there is no safety net. And there's an aspect of limitless availability or perceived or um, like you have to plan on being limitlessly available because you need to be on all the social media or you need to be um, working on many different levels. I don't know that my situation is as common because I'm doing so many different aspects, but in a weird kind of a way, it gives me more control. Um, but it also means that I'm really, really demanded of, and I have to figure out as I age, what's that going to look like? And as I'm writing more cookbooks and I really see this next cookbook coming out as a means to draw a thread of what my life will be, because I'm realizing there's just there's so many different ways to share stories and duh, right? Like I knew this probably before, but I'm really seeing it for myself more clearly now. And I think that that tireless labor that goes into whatever it is, like I need to start my seeds for my heirloom kitchen garden for this season's growing now that spring's actually arriving. And my head hasn't been there at all because I've been working on my manuscript. But it's like, oh, my God, right, you got to do that. And I just placed a native plant order to um, supplement all kinds of native plants that we have installed and worked to create a uh, really diverse habitat and healthy ecosystem immediate on our property. 
And so with every season, we're broadening that and there's endless work to be done. But if we are looking at it and being methodical, there's a way to connect to it, tackle it, hopefully not feel too depleted. The trick is to have food waiting for me when I'm done with all of that. And it's like, all right, I'm the one who's cooking. (laughs) So it's like, it's a little tricky, but um, it is really great. And it makes me feel like the labor isn't for nothing. It's a very clear um, trade-off. And um, that's one of the real wonderful priceless pieces of being an entrepreneur or a freelancer is seeing that that work that you put in, that tenacity, that connection and refinement, that those layers are things that make all of the subsequent things more readily available and just more abundant. Um, And at this point, I've been doing all of these things for long enough that I can feel like I'm in my place. Whereas probably for the first seven or 10 years, it felt much more like I'm trying this on and I'm trying this on and I'm trying this on and does it fit yet? And so, you know, and and I've, over the years, I really have secured an understanding of things. And now I get to be somebody that is an, an expert and I'm certainly not an expert on everything, but the things I'm an expert on, there's a reason for that. And I really like that I can share that with other people and be like, well, yeah, these oysters are incredible. And you know why they're incredible or whatever. It's like, it's just, and it's real because then you eat it and then you're like, oh, then it ruins you for mediocre stuff. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! What, uh, I just, it's so wonderful to just hear your journey. It's inspiring. It's, um, you know, again, you can just look at, a picture and be like, Oh, that's jewel worthy. That's beautiful. But like, there's understanding what goes into it, the passion behind it and and not just the image, but just the, the lifestyle. And, and like you said, it's, it's, it's by choice. It's, um, there, there is an abundance and it's, um, you put in, you put in the hours <laughs> and, and, um, and so thank you for being able to, to choose to share all of that with, with the rest of the world. Uh, because again, that's, that's a intentional, um, choice and mission to, to not just be doing it. Um, you're doing it, you know, you're doing it, but then you're sharing it. Right. It's not, it's just an internal world thing. It's something that's like we, all of us deserve to live better lives and, um, eat better. And why not share those wonderful gems? Because, then they can be pieces of joy for everybody. And that's, that's amazing. That's what we're here for. (laughs) That's, that's the goal. Yeah. Pieces of joy every day. Uh, Julia, what a pleasure. Uh, Julia, I just called you Julia. I was thinking about the other (laughs) book. Um, Julia uh, Tertian was actually a guest on our other podcast. Uh, Again, we mentioned you um, worked on with her, collaborated with her on her book. Um, So we can, uh, people can check that out as well on the Chase Service live show. Um, But, and check out that book that is just released. Just now. I think it was last Simply Julia. Yeah. Fresh on the scene. 
Awesome. Um, and of course, you can find Kid Chef. That sounds like an amazing gift. I'm thinking about my niece, um, who is really getting into cooking, which is so fun and awesome to see. Uh, and then, of course, um, we have a little bit of time to wait for your to, for your new book that yes. is in the works. However, where can everybody find you, follow you, um, and and just stay in touch with the with everything that you're creating, including well, Catbird. Yeah. Yes, right. Uh, the easiest place is Instagram these days. And I'm at Melina Hammer on Instagram. And there's also our Catbird Cottage page, which is at Catbird Cottage and our Catbird Cottage website. Um, and if you want to get away, you know, just send us an email. And these days it's tricky because we've reduced how many people we are hosting because of the pandemic and um, in the colder weather months, we weren't even feeding people. We weren't really hosting in the colder weather months. But now that it's going to be warm, we have this beautiful standalone deck that is like perfectly poised in the middle of nature. And it's, it's a fun scene to be out there and be able to bring delicious food to people. So that's, that's there. And, um, I have my website, but it's like, I feel like the others are just as well. And you can find me on food 52. I've got my profile there and uh, twice monthly drill with the recipes there. There's a couple that are going to come out this month. One I think is happening next week. So um, the seasonal ingredients, of course, um, awesome. lots of, lots of good stuff happening. And it's, it's fun to see in this time of year as more abundance is daily coming onto the scene, right? After eating sturdy foods and having to cook everything well because you can't eat a pumpkin raw, um, to, to have tender pea shoots or uh, pull a radish out of the earth and just be like, okay, great. This is like lighter and brighter and spontaneous feeling. That's what I'm excited about, about your book is the, the seasonality aspects because that just adds, again, it's the layer that's more real than anything that you can, Oh, we go to the market and we yeah. can get anything in a can. But, um, but this is just bringing joy, um, all around. So thank you so much, everybody. Be sure to go follow Melina hammer on Instagram. As we've been talking about, um, I wanted to give some final shout outs to folks who have been tuning in. Uh, we had Catherine Lambert. We had, um, Oh gosh, where'd you go? Was coming in from Ireland. We have Texas, we have Norway, um, Cincinnati, St. Louis, um, Colorado. Very cool. Thank you for joining us, everybody yeah, from all you. over. And um, you can, you'll be able to listen to this episode um, of We Are Photographers, our podcast again, where we talk to photographers, filmmakers, and industry greats. Uh, you can subscribe to that anywhere you get your podcasts, or it's always right here on creativelive.com slash podcast. And of course, if you're watching this video now, we have many shows coming up here on Creative Live TV. You can scroll down if you're on Creative Live and check those out, RSVP. Um, and just thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Melina. We will thank see you. We will see you all next time here on Cradle Vibe. I'm Kenna Klosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, 
head over to creativelive.com slash creatorpass. As a Creator Pass subscriber, you have access to over 1,500 classes on demand. Whether it's photo and video, art and design, craft, entrepreneurship, personal finance, or even yoga, there is always something to learn on Creative Live from the world's best educators. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review We Are Photographers wherever it is you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, and a five-star review goes a long way. You can stay up to date with everything happening on Creative Live by following us on social media at Creative Live everywhere. And I'm Kenna Klosterman on Instagram and at Kenna K Photo on Twitter. If there's anyone you want us to feature on the podcast, just send me a message. Thank you again for being part of the global Creative Live community. And I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers.